Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. This is episode number 18 of season 9. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. My name is Sonal Patel and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, all right, you guys, I've got a lot to get into today, so let's get into it. It's the last Wednesday of the month, right? So you know, it's my newsworthy fraud, waste, and abuse highlights for the month of August. And of course, I'm going to be spotlighting some of those from the month's criminal and civil enforcement cases that I find newsworthy. And I'll write you guys in my compliance tips and in my compliance recommendations today, I wanted to dive into some gentle reminders on the compliant use of Modifier 25. That's right. I know you've heard me talk about Modifier 25 time and time again over these past two years. But sadly, this big bad boy, Modifier 25, is always hogging the spotlight. And of course, I'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode and round it out in a remarkable quote on success by Swami Vivekananda. If you guys have checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and our valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and my best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve your coding accuracy as you help all your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and definitely, definitely, definitely start following this podcast on Spotify. I'd really love all of your continued support there as well. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and my compliance recommendations based on my over 13 years of experience in front office, in backend, in coding, and in billing for multi-specialty physicians, in compliance, and in auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into newsworthy the month's fraud, waste, and abuse cases. The month of August saw a whopping 56 cases as of the recording of this episode. Early August saw a doctor convicted for COVID-19 healthcare fraud schemes. Here, a federal jury convicted a Maryland doctor for submitting over $15 million in false and fraudulent claims to Medicare and a commercial insurer for patients who received COVID-19 tests at his testing sites. According to court documents and evidence presented at trial, this doctor was an owner and the medical director of an entity that operated multiple drive-through COVID-19 testing sites. He instructed the employees that in addition to billing for COVID-19 tests, the employees were also to bill for high-level evaluation and management visits. In reality, these evaluation and management visits were not provided to patients as represented. Rather, he instructed his employees that the patients were there for one reason only, to be tested, that it was simple and it was straightforward, and that the providers were not there to solve complex medical issues. The doctor ordered these high-level visits to be billed for all patients, including those who were asymptomatic, 
who were getting tested for COVID-19 for their employment requirements and who were being tested for COVID-19 so that they could travel. The doctor through his entity caused the submission of millions of dollars in claims to Medicare and a commercial insurer for tens of thousands of high level visits that were not provided as represented and were ineligible for reimbursement. The jury convicted him of five counts of healthcare fraud. He is scheduled to be sentenced and faces a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison on each count. He is the first doctor convicted at trial by the Justice Department for healthcare fraud in billing for office visits in connection with patients seeking COVID-19 tests. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. Early August also saw a neuroscience company and co-founder slash CEO to pay $445,000 to resolve False Claims Act allegations related to the promotion of false billing codes. Now, the company and CEO are to resolve alleged False Claims Act violations for causing the submission of false claims to Medicare by promoting false billing codes for a brain health device. The CEO is a PhD psychologist who co-founded the company as a startup in approximately 2009. The company sold its Evox device primarily to general practitioner physicians. The device involves a 20 to 60 minute in-office application of a helmet with electrodes that supposedly tests certain brain functions. During the company's initial startup phase, the PhD psychologist selected six billing codes for the Evox device. The settlement resolves allegations that from January 1st of 2013 through May 31st of 2021, the company and he promoted to other healthcare providers six false billing codes for Medicare reimbursement for the Evox device. By promoting false billing codes to healthcare providers, the company and he caused the additional providers to submit false claims to Medicare. The United States contends that none of the codes were ever appropriate for the Evox device as applied because the codes generally require a longer testing time, a specialized environment like a soundproof dark room, and can only be administered by a relevant specialist. Moreover, the United States contends that the company and he improperly encouraged healthcare providers to build multiple codes for a single application of the Evox device. In 2018, coding consultants informed the company that many of the billing codes it was promoting were problematic, after which time the company stopped promoting the false codes. This settlement resolves claims originally brought by a couple to whom, among others, the company marketed the eBox system. So the case was brought under the whistleblower or key TAM provisions of the False Claims Act. The act permits private citizens with knowledge of fraud against the government to bring a lawsuit on behalf of the United States and to share in any recovery. This couple will receive $89,000 of the settlement proceeds. The U.S. attorney on the case stated, quote, there is no startup exception under the False Claims Act. You will be held accountable if you knowingly promote false billing codes to others, end quote. 
all civil claims are allegations only. There has been no determination of any civil liability. Mid-August saw a man convicted of submitting false statements to COVID-19 relief programs. A federal jury in Tennessee convicted a man for making false statements on an attestation to receive $107,568.03 from the Provider Relief Fund, the PRF, which was a federal program that provided financial assistance to medical providers offering care to Americans suffering from COVID-19. According to court documents and evidence presented at trial, this man owned and operated a hospice and palliative entity in Mississippi from the years 2006 until June 2019, when he ceded ownership to individual number one, who passed away in February 2020. Now, by January 2020, this entity had stopped billing Medicare and Medicaid and stopped paying employees. The entity also did not file a 2020 federal income tax return. In April 2020, it received a provider relief fund, a PRF fund payment of $107,568.03. When the payment was deposited into the company's bank account, the man transferred some of those funds to accounts that he controlled. Then he issued a $58,000 check to himself. To retain the PRF fund monies, he submitted a false and fraudulent attestation on behalf of the hospice and palliative entity in the name of individual number one, who at that time was, again, deceased. In the attestation, he accepted terms and conditions of payment which involved certifying, among other things, that the entity provided, after January 31, 2020, diagnoses testing or care of individuals with possible or actual cases of COVID-19. He also falsely certified that the entity would only use the payment to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus and only for healthcare-related expenses and lost revenues attributable to coronavirus. The jury convicted him of two counts of making false statements. His sentencing is scheduled and he faces a maximum penalty of five years in prison for each count of making false statements. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. Moving on, mid-August also saw a dentist pleading guilty to stealing $500,000 in COVID-19 relief money. According to court documents, this dentist ran a practice in two locations in the state of California. From April 2020 through February 2022, he received over $850,000 in COVID-19 relief money from the Small Business Administration, or SBA, as well as the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, that's our HHS. He represented to the government that he would only use the relief money for specified business purposes, such as facility costs, payroll, and protective equipment for him and his staff. He subsequently used $500,000 of the relief money for improper personal expenditures, such as investments. He has agreed to pay that money back to the government before his sentencing. This case is the product of an investigation by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the SBA, Office of Inspector General, as well as the HHS Office of Inspector General. 
He is scheduled to be sentenced and faces a maximum statutory penalty of 10 years in prison and fines of $250,000. The actual sentence, however, will be determined at the discretion of the court after consideration of any applicable statutory factors and the federal sentencing guidelines, which take into account a number of variables. Late August saw the Justice Department announcing the results of a nationwide COVID-19 fraud enforcement action. The Justice Department announced the results of a coordinated nationwide enforcement action to combat COVID-19 fraud, which included 718 enforcement actions, including federal criminal charges against 371 defendants for offenses related to over $836 million in alleged COVID-19 fraud schemes. There was a three-month coordinated law enforcement action that took place from May through July 2023, which included criminal, civil, and forfeiture actions. Many of the cases in the enforcement action involved charges related to the pandemic, unemployment insurance benefit fraud, as well as fraud against the two largest pandemic small business administration programs, those SBA programs, which are the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP program, as well as the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, the EIDL. Additional matters involved pandemic health care billing fraud, fraud against the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, and fraud committed against the IRS Employee Retention Credit Program, or the ERC program, which is a refundable tax credit for businesses and tax-exempt organizations that had employees and were affected during the COVID-19 pandemic. IRS criminal investigations or IRS CI worked with the California Strike Force and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey to bring multi-million dollar ERC fraud cases during the enforcement action. Late August also saw a man pleading guilty to COVID-19 fraud schemes. Here, the man pleaded guilty to fraudulently obtaining $345,108 in COVID-19 pandemic relief loans from a financial institution and the Small Business Administration, the SBA. According to court documents, this California man was the owner of a home health agency. On or about December 27, 2019, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, placed him under Medicare payment suspension based on fraud allegations. While under suspension around April 2020, he applied for a Paycheck Protection Program or PPP loan seeking $160,000 on behalf of the home health agency. In the PPP application, he made false representations, including the number of employees to whom the home health agency paid wages, and its average monthly payroll expenses at the time of the application, and false certifications that the loan would be used for permissible business purposes by the home health agency. As a result, it received approximately $45,472 in PPP loan proceeds. And then around April 2020, the Department of Health and Human Services Provider Relief Fund, the PRF Fund, deposited approximately $139,736 into the agency's bank account. The PRF automatically distributed funds to providers who met certain criteria to help healthcare providers that were financially impacted by COVID-19, as well as to provide care to patients who were suffering from COVID-19 and compensate providers for the cost of that care. 
on or about May 1st, 2020, he falsely certified to HHS that he would use the funds to prevent, prepare for, and respond to COVID-19, or to reimburse the home health agency for healthcare-related expenses or lost revenue attributable to COVID-19 as required. Additionally, around July 2020, he submitted an application to the SBA seeking a low-interest loan from the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, the EIDL program. Now, in the EIDL application, he falsely represented the number of employees at the agency and falsely certified that the loan would be used for permissible business purposes. As a result, this agency received approximately $159,900 in EIDL proceeds. He used the funds from the PPP, the PRF, and the EIDL programs for his own benefit and for purposes that were different from those he certified. He pleaded guilty to wire fraud. He is scheduled to be sentenced and faces a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. Now, there were many, many of the other usual suspects as well from DME fraud, laboratory schemes, more opioids and oxycodone cases, as well as more kickbacks and more bribery schemes. But I wanted to pay particular attention to a case involving a doctor who admitted to using unapproved cosmetic drugs for years. Here, a California doctor pleaded guilty to crimes related to his years-long use of foreign, unapproved, and misbranded cosmetic drugs. He pleaded guilty to receipt of misbranded drugs in interstate commerce and being an accessory after the fact to an accomplice who smuggled the unapproved drugs into, into the United States from Mexico. Now, in his plea agreement, he admitted that none of the injectable botulinum toxin or lip fillers used by his clinics between November of 2016 and October of 2020 was approved for use in the United States. This specifically included a botulinum toxin product called Zeomine, which is an injectable lip filler, also called Probcell. Both products have not been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Now, he acknowledged that he received $100,767 in gross receipts for almost four years of cosmetic services performed with unapproved drugs and devices, the Zeomine and the Propcell. Now, as part of his plea agreement, he has agreed to forfeit that amount and pay a fine of $201,534. He also agreed to pay restitution to the victims in this offense. Now, in his plea agreement, he admitted purchasing most of his unapproved drugs and devices from the operator of a med spa in Mexicali, Mexico, who smuggled them into the United States without declaring them. A special agent in charge on the case stated, quote, injecting unapproved medicines poses a significant threat to public health and can have serious consequences for these individuals, end quote. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's compliance tip, let's get into modified 25 again. Now, there's a wonderful Novitas fact sheet that was just updated on July 31st, 2023. So here's what you need to know, according to Novitas. 
the modifier 25 is defined as a significant separately identifiable evaluation and management or ENM service by the same physician or other qualified healthcare professional on the same day of a procedure or other service. Medicare defines same physician as physicians in the same group practice who are of the same specialty. In this instance, they must bill and be paid as though they were a single physician. Modifier 25 indicates that on the day of a procedure, the patient's condition required a significant, separately identifiable ENM service above and beyond the usual pre- and post-operative care associated with the procedure or service performed. All ENM services provided on the same day as a procedure are part of the procedure and Medicare only makes separate payment if an exception applies. Now, Novitas gives us some appropriate uses for modifier 25. So you can use it here when there's an ENM service that may occur on the same day as a procedure. Medicare allows payment when the documentation supports the modifier 25. Now, we can also use the modifier 25 with the appropriate level of the ENM service. And then we can also use it when the minor surgical procedure performed has a global period of zero or 10 days listed on the Medicare physician fee schedule. Here are some examples of inappropriate uses according to Novitas. Now, that's when the modifier 25 was used by a physician other than the physician performing the procedure. So you cannot use the modifier 25 then. You also cannot use the modifier 25 if the documentation only shows the amount of work performed was consistent with the level of effort normally performed and is not therefore significant and is not therefore separately identifiable as an ENM service. And then you also cannot use the modifier 25. It can't be reported on the procedure code 99211. Also, you should not be appending the modifier 25 with these following ENM codes that are clearly identified and established for only new patients. For RCPT code 92002, RCPT code 92004, our ENM services 99202 through 99205, as well as CPT codes 99341 through 99345. Now, the Novitas fact sheet also gives us a side note that the codes listed above that I just stated are listed as new patient codes and so are therefore automatically excluded from global surgery package edits, right? They are reimbursed separately from surgical procedures. So that's a great tip that they include on that fact sheet. So those are just a few of the tips to keep in mind so go ahead and start looking at another Mac, right? And see what they have to say. And as you all know, I just gave a special podcast feature on this big bad boy modifier with my good friend, Jennifer McNamara on her LinkedIn live session yesterday on mastering modifier 25. So use your trusted resources and guidances as you're sending claims out the door, trying to use modifier 25 it's important that we maintain compliance in our coding as we try and use the modifier 25 because it's fundamental. If you have Medicare as a payer, 
to keep your eye on correct and compliant coding and billing practices and make sure that you're adhering to all of them. A better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus season nine spark on success. I want this ninth season spark to be filled with our world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for success in all we strive to do. So in this week's inspiring quote in spark is from Swami Vivekananda. Take up one idea, make that one idea your life. Think of it, dream of it, live on that idea. Let the brain, the muscles, the nerves, every part of your body be full of that idea and just leave every other idea alone. This is the way to success. Wow, absolutely true, right? I think this is an amazing quote that reminds us to be mindful, to stay focused on one big idea, that we can dream big, act big, but to do it for one idea. I think this quote inspires us to perfect that one idea alone. Its perfection will be our greatest legacy of success that we can leave behind. I'm happy Swami Vivekananda's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Now, all right, you guys, in my final note today, right? I hope you're all still staying motivated and positive for your personal and your professional lives. Both are so important to keep in balance. Now, the month of August is closing out, right? In just a day. So I hope you're ready for some cooler nights ahead as the autumn season slowly unfolds in the weeks to come. I know I'm looking forward to fall and the gorgeous, gorgeous colors um, that will be flying in the air really, really soon. I know I can't wait. I love fall. It's my favorite season, as you guys know. So I wish you guys all an amazing and very, very happy week ahead. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening in on today's episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.